It's, uh, it's good to be with you again this morning. Um, in case you're not sure who I am, my name's Steve and I'm Associate Vicar here at St. John's. <coughs> and um, here we are in what is sunny South End, yeah? Which is nice, isn't it? Sunny South End in the wonderful county of Essex. Gets a bad rap sometimes, but it's a lovely county, isn't it, really? We know that. And uh, here we are. We're meeting as the body of Christ to look to Jesus this morning, our head, and hopefully come into deeper relationship and knowledge of him this morning. That's why we're here, isn't it? And this morning we're going to continue uh, this new series uh, that we've entitled Peacemakers. Mike uh, kicked that off last Sunday. And we're, we're looking together at what the Bible might have to show us about <laughs> being a people who make peace even in the most difficult of circumstances. And we've really got one for you this morning. Um, because this morning, we're going right back into Genesis. We're going to Genesis chapter 45 in a moment. So you might just want to flick there and get it ready. Um, and we're going to take time this morning, just a brief amount of time this morning. We're going to share communion together shortly. Uh, but we're going to take time to consider the story of Joseph briefly this morning. Um, now, if you're not familiar with the story, I'll give you a really quick overview. It's, quite <laughs> it's a lot of chapters I'm just about to try and cram into about 30 seconds worth of speaking, but just go with it. So Joseph was born in Mesopotamia to his parents, Jacob and Rachel. Um, at the age of six, he, along with his family, moved and settled in Canaan. Uh, Jacob showed extra affection towards Joseph and his brothers became jealous, particularly after he was presented with this beautifully crafted garment, also known by some as his Technicolor dream coat. I should have got a prop for that, shouldn't I? I should have worn one this morning, a Technicolor dream coat. And then crucially, after Joseph had two dreams in which uh, he ruled over his brothers, uh, and they bowed down. So one day when Joseph uh, went out to visit his brothers who were tending to their flocks, and by this time they were rather jealous of Joseph, they attacked him, they threw him into a pit, and then they sold him into slavery uh, to an Arab caravan passing by. Joseph was eventually bought by Potiphar, uh, who was one of the Pharaoh's uh, key ministers in Egypt. Um, after some ups and downs, being appointed head of Potiphar's estate and then ending up in prison, that was quite a fall, he was eventually then lifted up again, our Joseph, and as he was appointed as Pharaoh's right-hand man, after he accurately interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, to mean that there were coming seven years of famine on the horizon. And Joseph was given the task of preparing Egypt for it. Uh, 
Uh, the famine did come, and it stretched all the way to the land that Joseph had come from, Canaan, where Jacob and his sons, Joseph's brothers, lived. So J- Jacob sent his sons to buy grain from Egypt as they battled f- against this famine for survival. And after a time of negotiation and after uh, a test set out by Joseph, we arrive at this moment that I'm just about to read at you now, um, where Joseph reveals his true identity to his brothers. Uh, the brothers who had attacked him, who had thrown him into a pit, and who had sold him into slavery. And I, I believe this is some 20 years later. Okay? <laughs> not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your households and all who belong to you will become destitute. You will see for yourselves and so, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded me in Egypt, about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brothers, and he wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks indeed be to God. What a, what a story and <laughs> what a, a little passage we've just read there. Sort of a mini conclusion to this, although it does go on after this. Now, one of the biggest news stories of the past few months, laying aside COVID, (laughs) one of the biggest news stories of the past few months has been the breakdown in relationships within the royal family, hasn't it? The media have relished the drama of it. But underneath those headlines um, and speculative news articles and gossip columns, there is a real family isn't there? With real relationships and with real hurt and real pain. But the all-encompassing media furor that's surrounded it in some way illustrates for us nicely how all-consuming it can be when we're not at peace 
with others, perhaps especially in that instance within our own family. What looks essentially like a family dispute has made more headlines than anything else the royal family has done for a number of years. And when we come to this whole story of Joseph, one thing that's striking is that as we work our way through Genesis and we look at our Bibles, only the first two chapters of Genesis (laughs) are dedicated to the creation of the entire heavens and the earth. And here we have what is essentially 14 chapters later in Genesis dedicated to a family dispute and the process they went through to find peace with one another again. Isn't that extraordinary to think of it like that? The creation of the heavens and the earth, two chapters, a family dispute and the peace at the end, 14 chapters essentially. Perhaps that might tell us something of the importance of peace in our relationships. Which brings me to my second point, which is that there was a lot riding on peace here in Joseph's story, especially for his family, for his brothers, for his father. Joseph says to his brothers in verse 5, Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you incredibly through the suffering through the pain through the ordeal can you imagine being (laughs) sold into slavery by your own family I mean it's just so disconnected from anything that most of us here could experience or understand that sort of level of pain of angst that incredibly through all of that, he saw that God had brought about great things. That's what he was focused on, wasn't it? Even at this moment, where he's confronted with the people that sold him into slavery. It seems in conflict, there's both great potential for goodness and great potential for destruction. And perhaps... Each of us here have maybe experienced both of those in our lives. I've read about an episode in 19th century Arizona, which is in the United States of America, uh, just in case you weren't sure, although I'm sure you all were, and I'm sure your American geography is much better than mine, um, in which two ranching families, the Tewksbury's and the Graham's, were in a dispute over cattle rustling. Uh, Now, a scenario that could have led to peace and a great coming together of those two families actually went completely the opposite direction and led to the murder of 20 people and to the complete wiping out of the Graham family. Uh, That came to be known as the Pleasant Valley War and has gone down in American history. Uh, similarly, how much destruction, how much more destruction even, 
could Joseph have wrought if he so choose, chose in this moment? Think about it. And that brings me to my final little point this morning, which is the role of forgiveness in peacemaking. At that moment, as Joseph, he stands there in front of his brothers, the people who had sold him into slavery, He stood there as the second most powerful person in the Egyptian empire, in the whole Egyptian civilization at that moment in time, with all of their resources, their armies, everything at his disposal. He had the ability to bring about total destruction. Total destruction. That was what was at his fingertips if he just said the words. Can you imagine the temptation to take revenge against the people who had exiled you and separated you from your parents, destroying your life and taking everything from you? The people would hurt you so terribly badly. Yet Joseph here chooses a different way. Because Joseph chooses forgiveness, which seems like an extraordinary thing here. But I think what we find is the reason Joseph is able to forgive in this moment is because he saw this as an opportunity gifted to him by God. It seems to me from the reading this passage that that is the one uh, guiding anchor in Joseph's life that actually <laughs> allowed him to make that cho choice of forgiveness right there and then. Many, many people <laughs> would have just wrought destruction in that moment. And in fact, we have seen that many times throughout history. That through all the pain, all the suffering, all the hurt, he was in a position to save his family. And perhaps it's that sort of outlook, that sort of outlook that might help us forgive where we need to forgive. That often we look to forgiveness deep inside ourselves as an emotion we need to feel. Well, often if you're seriously wronged by someone, sold into slavery, or even if it's that something else that's not quite as severe, we look within ourselves and we want to feel forgiveness. We want to feel that emotion. Oh yeah, I feel like I can forgive you now. But often if we're looking inside for that type of emotion, goodness me, it might become... A long, long time coming, if ever, if we've been seriously wronged. But what Joseph's doing here, if you notice, he's looking outside of himself, isn't he? The reason he chooses forgiveness is because he's got his eyes fixed on the things of God. He sees this as a great opportunity of something that God's working in his life, in his brother's life, in his family's life. Perhaps it might be helpful for us to think about how Joseph was able to forgive in this moment. 
It might be tempting to de- see disputes as way below God. Like, my daily, day-to-day life is just, he's not interested. He's not interested in anything I've got to, any of my comings or goings or or little disputes or arguments with this person or that person or how that person's wronged me or how I've wronged that person. He's just not interested in that. He leaves us to it. But I think we see here in Joseph that far from that, this for this one family, these things are of great interest to him. Of great interest to our Lord. The nitty-gritty of human relationships, the hurt, the pain, and the bringing about of peace. Are we able to see those types of opportunity? Are we able to see them when they arise? That's a question for us. Are we able to lift our gaze from turning inwards and focusing inwards and looking inwards for those feelings and emotions and the pain and the hoping that we might feel like we want to forgive? Are we able to turn our gaze from looking inwards and focusing on our damaged pride or pain or hurt and instead look up to the Lord that he might be doing something through this? Is that a possibility Is that a possibility we consider? Perhaps even, in this case, salvation. Perhaps even spiritual, eternal salvation might be at stake here and might be brought about through this act of peacemaking. Perhaps the witness of of forgiveness, of, of peacemaking that we might put forward in a situation might impact someone so much that it's beyond their current comprehension. But let's remember, as we, I think the band are going to come up now, we're going to sing one more time before um, we share communion, which is an important thing, I think, for us to do in uh, when we're thinking about peace. Because, of course, when we look at Jesus on the cross, We don't see someone who's taking revenge for the way he's been treated, do we? We see forgiveness hanging there on the cross. An opportunity for something far greater than we can ever imagine. And in a moment we share the peace together. Should we stand together, by the way? Let's stand. In a moment as we share the peace.